Not only is he able to save, but he is able to sanctify. He is able to grow us, and he alone is able to save us, and he alone is able to sanctify us or grow us. Amen? We can try all we like, and we will fail, but if we rely on the strength and power of Christ, he will change us. He will grow us. He will make us more and more like himself. And so we have come this morning as weak people with a powerful God. And we know that he can help us and strengthen us, and we need him. And what we're going to talk about this morning will doubly remind us of how much we need him and how much we need his strength. Um, and we're looking at Matthew 10 this morning, but before we do that, I want to uh, pray. Um, I want to particularly pray for two things in addition to um, asking the Lord to help us with what he wants to teach us this morning. I want to pray for the country of Ukraine and the partners that we have in that country and just uh, the people in general and, uh, and uh, people we've come to know and love. And, and uh, I know that you are, your hearts are uh, attuned to that situation. And I want to pray for the Chris Brown family as well um, and just lift them up before the Lord in this time in their lives and uh, trust in Him. So let's go to prayer together. Our Father and our God, we, we just uh, come before you as the sovereign God over the universe. The King's hearts are in your hand. And so, Lord, um, there can be all kinds of political negotiation, but this is where the real political negotiation takes place in the universe. It's when God's people are, are bowing their hearts and their heads before you and asking you, the King of Kings, the sovereign King over the universe, to help us. And so, oh God, we are praying for our friends, our family, our loved ones, our brothers, our sisters in Ukraine today. We know that, that over the years, there has been great oppression in that country. And we also have seen you open up amazing possibilities. We know that our, our sister church, Lord, in Odessa is growing in, in amazing ways, influencing and impacting that city for Christ. And we know that the church is, is taking hold of, uh, of opportunities and taking hold of great faith, Lord. And uh, we also know that that kind of thing catches the attention of the evil one. And we realize, Lord, that... Uh, that there is at this moment possibilities of great political upheaval and disruption that, has, that can, can carry on to the place where uh, perhaps war will come. We realize, Lord, that rumor of war is already upon us. We're not surprised by this. Uh, you have told us that as the days draw near to your return, there will be wars and rumors of wars which will increase. But, Father, we ask that the gospel would go forward. We ask, Father, that that uh, those who are on the side of righteousness will prevail. We ask, Father, that that country will remain open to the gospel and that uh, you will um, uh, overshadow this moment with your great power and give great wisdom to our country, to the United States and others who are allies with Ukraine and helping them in this time, that uh, you will um, uh, push back um, those kinds of things, Lord, that would disrupt the advancement of the gospel. I pray as well, Father, for Chris and Cindy and family. Lord, we, we call upon you not only as the, the creator God over the political situation of the world, but you are the healing God over our bodies. And so, our Father, we pray that uh, for this family, knowing full well, Lord, they have uh, spent their, um, their, their time uh, trusting in you and 
building that foundation, attaching it to the rock, Christ Jesus. And Lord, I believe as this storm blows against their lives, their house will stand. But I pray, Father, as they come out the other side of this storm, that you will, be, you will provide complete healing to Chris's body. I pray, Lord, that you will grant him great strength and health as, he, uh, as we consider him um, a, a vital part of the ministry here. And Lord, we know that through the ages of biblical history, you have chosen to heal certain servants of yours uh, simply because there was more assignments you had for them to do. And we, we ask, Lord, that that might be so for Chris, and we pray for him, and we ask that they may continue to look to you as they are and not be discouraged, but that their faith may be deepened, that our faith may be deepened, that people around them may be impacted and influenced for the gospel, uh, for ask this in your name. And Lord, I ask now as we turn our attention to what message you have for us today, that you would strengthen and encourage our hearts. Uh, this again is a, a hard teaching of cost. Uh, to follow the Lord. But I pray, Father, that we might not uh, shrink back, but might be emboldened and granted more courage than ever by the promises that come from your word today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to recap for you, um, just to catch you up quickly on, an, on uh, our outline, our loyalty outline so far. It's not exhaustive, but I think it's important that we catch up uh, with a few things before we launch into Matthew chapter 10 this morning. We all have discovered that the central message that Jesus brought and in, in, in found in the gospel of Matthew 4 verse 17 was repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And in the vernacular, basically Jesus is saying here, make way for my way in your life. That's that's the push of the gospel. That's the proclamation, the central message that Christ pushes out. And then he calls people to join that, that truth, that message in, in uh, chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. And he says to them, come, follow me, and I will what? Make you fishers of men. He gives this great assignment that our lives should be about capturing lives for Christ. And... Um, uh, this is not just simply given to 12 different individuals and that was it. I believe that this is a universal call of Jesus uh, on, on his people that we will be characterized distinctively as those who follow him and he makes us fishers of men. We don't make ourselves into fishers of men. Say out there, you know, I, I'm having a struggle. I'm trying as hard as I can to make myself a... Uh, 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 one who reaches out and moves forward. Listen, that's not what he said. He said, I will call you to follow me and I will cause you to become fishers of men. I will do the work in your life if you'll cooperate with what the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. And then in chapters 5, 6, and 7, we are called to a certain culture. We've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. We are to bring the culture of heaven to earth. Um, we are crossing over from our previous culture into his culture. And he is changing us into Christ's culture. And we, we are influencers of our culture because we are in Christ's culture. And, and then in chapters 8 and 9, which we're not going to look at in this particular series, but I highly endorse it, of course. Uh, he, in, those, in that section, just before we get to where we're going to talk about today... He uh, points out to his disciples that he's got the power to pull all this off. 
He's calling us to something spectacular, but he demonstrates his great power uh, to deliver and and to help people and to to, to, uh, miraculously change things. And so we need to have confidence, and we can have confidence as we read his word, to have courage to face down opposing forces. Because if he's got the power and he promises to live inside of us, guess what? We've got the power. You believe that? I mean, we have the power. It's, it's there. He's got the power. He lives inside of us. And he says, you have that power. Now, in Matthew chapter 10, we are called to expand Christ's influence globally. That's what Matthew 10 is about. It is a call from personal makeover, from God, what God is doing in our lives, changing us to missionary. Exploring what Christ has done for you. And so on the basis of what I, where we have got to now in the text, on the basis of Matthew 10, whereby he commissions now his disciples, and again, I'm suggesting to you that I don't believe this commission is, is restricted to his 12 disciples only. And the reason I say that is because you're going to see in the text that he calls his disciples to go to Israel, don't go to the Gentiles, but then as he moves his way through this this, uh, teaching to them, he also points out that there are days ahead of you when governments and Gentiles will oppose you. And so he is taking a long look, and then he even talks ultimately about the... uh, the, the, Uh, son of God coming so he's giving this long look of the missionary call on disciples therefore I think it's appropriate to conclude that God's people are missionary people that's who we are that's our ethos Uh, we um, are not uh, live and let live or let die people around us We are people who are called by the living Christ to take the gospel message to everyone. We live among the walking dead and we have a message of life. So we are a missionary people. Every disciple, therefore, is to be a missionary. Now, I know you may be wondering about the responsibilities of that. And I've already said to you that Jesus has already said, those who follow me, I will make fishers of men. He's already promised that that's what your life is going to be. That's who you're going to be. So every disciple is to be a missionary. Some are commissioned to full-time occupation. But all of us are called to missionary. He causes us to be his followers and his fishermen. So chapter 10 is really a specific commission to a general statement Christ is going to make at the end of Matthew's gospel where he says, go and make disciples. And as Pastor Kelvin reminded us from the baptismal tank this morning, we are called to do what Jesus has asked us to do. And we want to make sure as a church that we are occupying ourselves in what Christ has called us to do. He's called us to follow him, and he says, I'm going to cause you to be fishers of men, cause you to be fishers of people. So um, quite literally then, we are called to meddle in people's lives. That's who we are. And we're not called to be annoying meddlers, but we are absolutely called to meddle in people's lives around us. And that causes tension. And Jesus addresses that in Matthew chapter 10. 
I want you to notice what he says. We're going to start reading at verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep, sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, notice, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now this is the word of the Lord to us this morning. If we can be ignored in our culture, we will be tolerated. But we've not been called to be ignored. We've been called to meddle. And if we become missionary about our beliefs and our values, we will be hunted down. We will find that uh, there will be a great cost to, the, to our commitment to be followers of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you know that um, before I was called into ministry as pastor, I was called into the ministry of sales. And uh, there were successful salespeople, and there were not so successful salespeople. I won't tell you which kind of a salesperson I was, but I can tell you this, that fundamental to the difference between being successful and unsuccessful was the ability to handle rejection. The successful salesmen, as we used to affectionately call, were very thick-skinned people. They didn't really, um, rejection couldn't stop their persistence. Let's put it that way. And many of you have met people like that. They just won't go away. And in, in fact, um, we are really called to be that kind of people in terms of our passion for the gospel. And I believe that this section of scripture is Jesus' uh, teachings to us on how to manage rejection. What we should know about the fact that we are going to be significantly rejected and opposed and persecuted and maybe even murdered for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this is what Jesus is addressing. There are no discounts to being a follower of Jesus Christ. Each of us are called to pay full price because Christ paid full price for us. And you know, we're, we have a teacher who is speaking to us, the Lord Jesus Christ, who isn't saying to us, I want you to do something that I was unwilling to do. We have a Savior who gave his life for us, who is the one who gave his all for us. And in turn, he's asking us to be full in, all in, disciples of Jesus Christ. So here's the question for this morning. What do real disciples need to take loyalty 
to the next level and to spiritually prosper while you're doing so. And one thing I can tell you for sure as we look at this and as you listen to it, no doubt you knew this already, I need God to help me. When I hear this kind of stuff, I, I know full well that I don't have the strength to stand up to this kind of thing in, a, in and of myself. But if the Lord will help me, if the Lord will strengthen me, if the Lord will promise, if the Lord will fulfill what he promises here, then we can, we can face the challenges that will come our way. Now, the first thing that we need to know that's an overriding reality in terms of facing the challenges of full price Christianity is what kind of people we need to be. In verse 16, he gives this interesting illustration by the use of a couple of animals to help us to understand what kind of people we need to be. Do you notice there in verse 16, I, I would say that he's inviting us or, or challenging us to guard our hearts as we navigate into these deep waters, to guard our hearts. Basically, he's telling us, you ain't in Kansas anymore, all right? You are being thrown out into a world of savage wolves. So actually, he has three animals, three types of animals. You're going to be thrown out into the world of savage wolves. And it is imperative as a starting point in terms of how God is going to shape your lives that the, the uh, balance bubble in your heart is brought into alignment. This is critical. Now, he says that we are to be as shrewd as snakes, but as innocent as doves. Now, um, I'm not sure how much you know about either snakes or doves. I know a little bit about both. I suspect I know more about snakes and Deacon Scott Martin knows a whole lot about doves because he's the resident bird expert in this church. So forgive me, Scott, if I mess up in the bird department. But here we go. Snakes are um, interesting creatures. When we think of a snake, we think of them being as of shrewd, keen of mind. They're environmentally savvy. Snakes, you see, by their body, which is on the ground, can sense rhythms, movement of the ground itself. They have a high sensitivity to all kinds of things. In fact, constrictors have sensitivity to hot-blooded things. And so they can tell from a distance whether something is food or not. Now, the thing about snakes is, and why Jesus says, I want you to be shrewd as snakes is, is some of those qualities are really good, being keen and, and shrewd and aware over against a dove. A dove, for instance, is naive and gullible and helpless. Uh, but the thing about um, what Jesus says to us here is the danger is as you're moving in this world, this world of wickedness around you, is that there's always the danger that you might become too snaky. And uh, in this snaky thing is you'll, you'll become too jaded in life. And you'll see all the wicked things around you and pretty soon you won't trust anybody 
Like a snake doesn't trust anybody. And, and you'll go too far in the areas of deceitfulness and shrewdness. And, and, and you'll, he doesn't want you to sneak up on a lost person like a frog and pounce on them. See, you don't want to become too much like a snake. But on the other hand, you don't want to be naive and gullible and helpless like a dove. The good part about a dove is, though, that they're, they're nice. They're kind. They're, they're, they're soft little creatures that, that seem uh, as if they wouldn't hurt you. And so... What Jesus is really calling us to here is a hybrid kind of animal. We're to be snaky doves. That's what he's really calling us to. He, he wants us to be snaky doves. He, he doesn't want us to be naive and helpless and gullible, but he doesn't want us to suddenly have, be people who have a plot mentality or see a conspiracy under every rock and, and become cold and hard-hearted and deceitful, ruthless, but rather keen of mind and soft of heart. These two things. These two things are necessary in perfect concert, in balance, for us to be thrust out into the world among savage wolves. Now, this is not something you can make yourself into. This is God's call to your life, and He will enable you to be like this, to be completely aware of your surroundings, but to leave room to be surprised by the good things in this world, in this all-out assault on evil. With that as the backdrop, and this is important, he launches us now into three categories of people who will oppose you, who will come against you, who will persecute you, who will hurt you, who may even kill you. And here's how you face the battle. Once you are relying on God to rightly balance your heart as a snaky dove, now you're ready. He says, be on your guard. Your heart is guarded by the kind of person that I'm making you into. Now be on your guard against people who will hand you over to local councils and their synagogues. This represents religious people. It, we, you know, there's a great danger of getting too dove when we encounter people who say they're religious or they fear God. And so we may let our guard down. Jesus says, beware. Just because people claim some sort of affiliation with God does not mean that they aren't savage wolves. In fact, not all God-fearers are fearers of God, if that makes any sense. But I believe that's what Jesus is teaching us here. You see, the, the big distinction between those in the religious realm who will persecute us has to do with those who, who are fixated on prescribed rituals to perform. That makes the distinction and when the where the persecution comes from. Jesus said, you aren't though that kind of people. I've not called you to prescribed rituals to perform. I've called you to follow me. I've called you to relationship. 
And this is where the challenge comes in. This is where the, the, uh, the opposition comes in. Those who believe that religion is about prescribed rituals to perform will absolutely oppose those who believe that what faith is really about is a relationship with a living God. And so uh, the history of Christianity is the history of persecution and martyrdom. The Jews have been persecuting Christians since the time of Christ and continue to today. The most extreme human rights violations in our world are against Christians. It's perhaps little known by the world, and here's something that we don't see flags flying over city halls uh, with respect to, but in fact, um, martyr, uh, Christian martyr or persecuted church ministries will tell us statistically that um, while the Jewish Holocaust in World War II accounted for the martyrdom of seven million Jews, which is a horrible and terrible and heinous act of of inhumanity. We all agree on that. But very few people are talking about the fact that 70 million Christians have been martyred since the time of Christ. And in fact, in this past century, the 20th century, 40 million Christians have been martyred. The greatest holocaust in all the world is against Christians. And there's little talk with respect to that. This is what Jesus claimed would happen. He claimed that his followers would be brought before local councils, would be flogged in their synagogues, and would be actually martyred. In the last 20 years, Islamic persecution of Christians has all but wiped out Christianity from traditional Bible lands. Uh, uh, one half to two-thirds of all Christians in the 20 years previous that have been living in Bible lands have been per either killed or persecuted out of those lands. It is expected and predicted that in the next several years, there will virtually be no Christians left in traditional Bible lands. That's because there are those who claim to be God-fearers in those Bible lands, they are not devoid of religion. Those who claim to be God-fearers who are committed to performing rituals, prescribed rituals, and oppose those who have a relationship personally with the Lord Jesus Christ. Their brutal opposition testifies to the bankruptcy of their religion. Jesus says, don't be surprised by this. You might be saying, well, we're not living in Bible lands, and for the most part at this moment, we're not facing religious persecution. Well, I think some people in here are facing religious persecution. I'm pretty convinced that many of you are in your own settings, in your workplace settings, for instance. I suspect that uh, there is modern public flogging going on in uh, various situations where you are. I suspect that some of you are removed from your influence in the places where you work or marginalized because of your faith. I'm guessing that some of you are, are demoted. I'm guessing that some of you are maligned in your workplace. 
I'm guessing that, that in your workplaces there are certain people who are very unhelpful to you, who claim to be God-fearers, who say, I'm religious too, and I, I believe the Bible as well. And that Christian from Calvary Baptist Church is taking their faith way too extremely. I'm, I'm suggesting that there are people in your workplace who are only too willing to say, my God loves everybody, which is really code for, my God is permissive and allows anything and everything to take place. Well, by the way, it's not new for people to um, declare and describe who they think God is. In fact, in this very text, Jesus says, if they will call me the Lord of the flies or Lord of Beelzebub, then surely they're going to call you certain things. So, in fact, if the people at your workplace are, are uh, proposing that they uh, have, are describing God, it's nothing new. Um, people have never been shy about telling God who he is. But God, in fact, in his word, tells us who he is. And so the first category of people that he talks about here, be on your guard, is against those who are religious. But the second category here, he says on verse 18, on my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings. There will be a, a government opposition to, the, to the, um, the nature of your faith. Now, I think what Jesus is saying to us here is that you, your faith should be so much a part of your life, that your faith should be so... Uh, influential and effective that the governments of your culture will take notice of believers. I think that's what he's telling us here. I think he is not inviting us to be some sort of silent minority, but he is telling us here to live our lives so out loud that our influence and impact in the culture comes up against the desires and, and wishes of godless governments. I think that's what he's telling us here. Uh, but we're not to be worried about this. Our, our influence should make governments anxious and take notice. But I think there's something really fascinating here, and we're going to pick it up in a few moments. Um, he is saying that your belief should get you invitations to the highest offices of the land. And it's not to get an order of Canada pinned on your lapel. It's in fact to, in some way, answer for what you believe to be true, for what you believe to be the way things ought to be. I think that's what Jesus is teaching us here. But I discovered something in this text that I'd never noticed before, and, uh, and I bring it to your attention. He says in verse 18 that on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings, look at this, as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. Do you see that? As this, this is a purposeful ministry reality. This is not just about random persecution and opposition. But what we have here is the king of kings is asking us to live our lives in such a way that we will impact the highest places of our governments so that in turn we will get an invitation to, uh, to uh, answer for ourselves, and in so doing, we become God's message to the government. He is the king of all kings. And he is saying to us here that I will have my message taken to the highest officials of any land 
that they might answer to me because I'm the king. And I may just use one of you to be that witness to the truth, to be my messenger, to be my ambassador to the highest places of government, that they might hear the message of the King of Kings, and they have opportunity by my grace and mercy to either respond to what the king says or to reject it and face judgment. That, I think, is what we're being taught here. But not only are we being taught here that we will be uh, witnesses uh, to the truth, but he says here that you will not have to worry about what you say. Now, uh, for most of us, when we heard the start of this, we're like, I don't want to be called before any officials. I would just like to lay low with the rest of my life and, and, and cruise into heaven. Thank you very much. I'm not really looking for an audience because I would never know what to say. And not only that, I would never know how to say it. I noticed, I, I always knew about the what to say, but I, I noticed now as I looked at it closely to, to bring it to you that it not only says what to say, but how to say it. Because for most of us, we're saying, if I don't have a prescribed script and a prescribed strategy, don't put me out there. Now, I can tell you that before I come before you on a Sunday morning, I have a prescribed script and a prescribed strategy. Because I want you to know that this promise is not for lazy preachers. It's not some promise by Jesus that says, you know what, you don't have to do anything all week long. Just go and stand in front of people and I'll tell you what to say and I'll tell you how to say it. This is not for the presumptuous. This is for the persecuted. What God is saying to you is, if I choose to have you hauled up in front of somebody of importance, of authority, don't be afraid. Don't worry. I will tell you what to say, and I will tell you how to say it. Now, is that not a great promise? Is that not some reason for us to say, hey, you know what? I can just relax. I mean, think about it. The Holy Spirit of God, the King of Kings, resident in you, says, I'll be the mouthpiece. I'll do the speaking, and I'll tell you how to speak. So don't be afraid. Don't get nervous about your influence and impact. Don't be afraid if the government is rattling around because you have chosen righteousness or truth or integrity. I'll be there. You will be coached on what to say by the Holy Spirit. It's a pledge of God himself. Don't fret. I'll be with you. So, God will help us against the religious persecution. God will help us against governmental persecution. But the third is perhaps even the most difficult. Because of me, he says, your own family will betray you. Against your own family. God is asking us to shine in the hardest place of all. In the midst of our families. He doesn't want us to hide the truth from the people who matter most to us. Even though they may persecute you and reject you and mistreat you. And some of you, I'm pretty convinced, know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have had to face this or are presently facing rejection and betrayal of your own family. 
And you can see how extreme this can get. It's not just a little poking fun. This can get extreme enough to cause death. Where a brother would betray his own brother to death. Where a father would betray his own children to death. Where children would betray their own parents to death. It's unthinkable to most of us. But the truth is, loyalty to Jesus is polarizing. You cannot please Jesus and the world too. You have to pick. You have to choose. And um, that's what makes this whole opposition so completely absurd when you think about it. This takes it to the absurd level. It's one thing to, to understand where other religions would conflict with us. It's another thing to understand why governments would conflict with us because uh, governments have always been afraid of their position. God's threatening to that. It's very difficult for us to understand, how could my family, how could my family go against me? Because aren't families supposed to demonstrate unconditional love one for the other? Isn't that just normal? How can the people who, who know me most want me out of their life? When in fact, the absurdity of all of this is what I come to bring, what I come to offer is, is Christ's message of love and life and grace and kindness and unity. Why would people want to butcher that? I come as the search and rescue mission of my family. It's absurd. It's absurd that we would face opposition from our family for our faith. A faith that will rescue them for all eternity. That's where the absurdity comes in. And the only explanation that we can possibly understand is that what we're talking about here is not not moderate, not low-level um, issues in life, but, but this is life and death. This is, this is evil and wickedness against the forces of God's righteousness. This, this, the level of wickedness and evil that we face knows no bounds. It reaches right into our families, into, into the level of absurdity where our, our families' hearts will turn against us and even betray us and turn us in to be, to be destroyed. There's an energy to evil that we face. And hatred toward Jesus, he says, it's on account of me. Hatred toward Jesus puts all of us in the crosshairs of conflict. But the great message here is Jesus just assumes that lots of us are going to stand firm to the end. He says, all men will hate you because of me, verse 22, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Hatred cannot overcome a real disciple of Jesus Christ. They will be standing at the end. And it's defining, you know. That's the real test. Martyrs for the cause of faith in Christ, at whatever level that martyrdom comes, 
will be saved. Not saved because you're a martyr. A martyr because you're saved. You truly are genuine and you stand firm with the strength of God, validating that you truly are one of His. Now, he says here, as we conclude and wrap this up, that when you are persecuted, verse 23, in one place, flee to another. The Lord never asks us to unnecessarily stay and be martyred anywhere. He invites, if possible, to flee. Because the spread of the gospel is needed wherever you flee. In fact, it was the early persecution in the book of Acts that spread the church all over the world. And so it still is today. If you can flee, flee. Because where you will go, they need to hear the truth as well. And that's why he says in, in the last of the, this section, I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel. In other words, you'll be kicked out of here, kicked out of there. Go ahead, flee. You'll go through from city to city before the Son of Man comes. The sorry state of people, their rejection, rebellion, and attempted eradication of Christians minimizes their own chances of hearing and responding to the gospel before God's judgment falls. That's the warning here. There's a near and a far look to this last verse that we look at. You see, as they went from city to city proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, not even making it to all the cities, eventually the judgment of God fell in 70 A.D. And that's the warning message to all who reject Christianity. In spite of this great scattering of faithful saints, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, witnessing to the world. We will not reach the world until the judgment of God falls suddenly. That's the far look of the coming of the Son of God. And who you are when that time arrives will define eternity for you. It's important who you are today, but it is ultimately important who you are at the end. Will this persecution push you away from Jesus and you abandon him, or will you stand firm against religious persecution, against governmental persecution, against family persecution? Because the ones who are standing firm at the end will be saved. Our Father, we ask for courage and strength. We want to be standing. We thank you for your promises that you're not going to abandon us in this. That you are going to be very with us. And so I pray this morning, Father, as we allow this to be applicational to our lives. I pray, Father, that you would uh, strengthen our resolve. Help us for Jesus' sake. Amen. 
I think Jesus really says to us here, don't be surprised if I require you to pay full price. And uh, I think most of us have experienced parts of what that really is in our lives and the challenge of that, challenge that trying to push us away from the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also know this, that the things that matter most to us, we are willing to pay full price for. Christ Jesus has paid the full price for us. He says the cost may be full in your lives, but don't be discouraged. In fact, if the cost is pressing hard against you, it is validating that you truly are one of mine. So rejoice, be glad, rely on me, trust in me, I'll help you, I'm with you. So as we bow our heads for prayer this morning, in closing, I, I thought it might be good to just um, particularly pray for those of you who might be uh, going through some challenging persecution and opposition right now. So if everyone would just bow your heads. If, you, if that's your situation right now, just slip up your hands so I can pray in conclusion for you. Yes, I see hands all over. Put your hands up if you're under that kind of challenge and stress in your life. Okay, up in the balcony, yes, around, okay. I'm going to pray in a, in a moment. I just want to say that if, if the pressure is intense in your life and you would like us to pray for you particular and specifically because now my prayer is going to be general. Um, please meet with one of our pastors down here. We'd really love to pray with you this morning that you might stand firm in what God is doing in your life. Our Father and our God, you see the, the battle around us and against us. You've told us it will be so. Father, I remember some of the great, greatest challenges in my life in school, in high school, seeking to stand firm for Christ. And I know within this congregation, there are many who have uh, great challenges and are under great pressure. So, Father, I pray for your strength. You've promised to help us. You've promised to take us through. You've promised that if we will dig that foundation deep and attach to the, be attached to the rock, that our house will stand. And so, Father, we're claiming these promises for ourselves, that we might be courageous and bold and not shrink back but know that we have you helping us and strengthening us, giving us the words to say, telling us how to say them. Oh God, please help us. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.